This is M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Folks, we're happy to have with us on Make It Plain today an oldie but goodie that has nothing to do with either of our ages, but he's an old friend and an old regular guest. He used to be a regular guest when we were doing three hours a day on live radio. We're always good to have great, it's always great to have a chance to talk to him whenever we can. He is now the editor of TNR, the New Republic. Uh, formidable publication. He's doing a great job there. We wanted to get his thoughts. He's his most recent piece on Andrew Cuomo. That is the talk of everywhere at the moment. We want to get his take on it. The New Republic's editor, Michael Tomaski, joins us once again on Make It Plain. Hey, buddy, we've missed you. How are you? I'm great, Mark. How about you? It's good to see you. Again. Just fine. Good to see you too. Just all just hanging in here. Hopefully trying to stay healthy. We've got this new Delta variant, so everybody's just fighting. But uh, I pray that you and your family are doing well as always. Well, thank you. We're, we're okay. And I hope the same to you. Thank you. Thank you. The headline, Andrew Cuomo and the line no Democrat can cross. His resignation proves you can't do what he did as a Democrat and expect to survive. Michael, you write that's a good thing. Explain, if you would. Well, sure, it's a good thing. Uh, there's very little tolerance in the Democratic Progressive Coalition these days for letting a man get away with that kind of stuff. I could see maybe certain circumstances where it would be possible. Like, for example, if the lieutenant governor of New York were a Republican, <laughs> you know, would Democrats <laughs> be so eager to impeach him? That's a fair question. But, you know, in general, I think that this kind of behavior cataloged in this kind of report by the attorney general is just uh, basically unacceptable today in democratic politics. And obviously that's, that's, that's a really good development. He, he, uh, as recently as five years ago, I think he could have maybe skated through this, but, but something's changed in those last five years and, and something good has changed. Yeah. And, and obviously the democratic tent is not only big, but inclusive of the Me Too movement, the Times Up movement, and everybody who's allied with those movements. We saw what happened with Al Franken, even. And, you know, some people had a problem with that. But you're right, it shows that, that our side of the aisle is trying to, it has, and is trying to maintain some moral authority. Trying to. And uh, it is, it's, 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 you know, these things are never going to be perfect. But, you know, in contrast, in general, broad contrast to the Republican Party, that's certainly the case. I mean, look at Matt Getz. Look at Matt Getz and the allegations against him. Now, you know, no Republican said a word about that. Now, you could argue that Getz deserves due process, deserves his day in court. Any American does. On, on any charge, not just these kinds of charges. But you just haven't heard a Republican say boo about this guy. And he's still a big hero and, and draw in the party. He's going around giving these talks, you know, calling calling January 6th insurrectionists uh, who've been arrested political prisoners and drawing these crowds and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there, there is a distinction. And then, of course, the biggest distinction of all is, you know, the serial sexual harasser accused person in the Republican Party who they voted to make the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but let me ask you, so, Michael, I wonder if there's also a difference in terms of, of the media coverage and the media demand. We saw 
24-7 mainstream media coverage of Democrats calling for Cuomo's resignation. But even when that, when there were Democrats, there was constant commentary on the air, Cuomo should resign. Even though Republicans have not called on Gitz to be held accountable, or Trump, anyone else for that matter, is, is the media, the mainstream television media, are they as balanced when it comes to providing coverage and demands of Democrats resigning versus Republicans? I mean, we don't, we, we, the Matt Gitz story, we know about it, but it's, it's not having the same, it's, I don't see the same attention from the mainstream media, the television media. Well, there's not, but, you know, I don't necessarily blame the media for this very much. I mean, the media can only report on what people say, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and if Republican, if his Republican House colleagues aren't saying, I'm very disturbed by these allegations against Matt Getz or Matt Getz should, you know, temporarily step down or Matt Getz should at least, you know, stay home and not go out in public and give these rabble rousing speeches until this is until he's through this and there's a disposition of the case. If they were saying that, the media would report that, but 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 they're not saying it. So, you know, um, uh, whereas Democrats are saying it, and I think it's to their credit, uh, we're saying it about Cuomo, and they may still go ahead with the impeachment proceeding, which will be interesting to see. So, yeah, I mean, the imbalance exists. Uh, the imbalance does exist, but it exists because there's no balance to what the two the members of the two parties are saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is also some other news that's popped up. I don't know if you have had the opportunity to see the, the Ronan Farrow story that's popped up. In it. I, I, I'm aware of it. I haven't read it. Well, just to summarize, folks, there are allegations that Cuomo was involved in bullying the Obama Justice Department and specifically Preet Bharara for investigating Cuomo back in those days. And he was... The reports are he was he was very bullying and, and brutal uh, and threatening. Um, and Ronan hypothesizes that that's something that was getting ready to bubble up to the surface if there was an impeachment trial. And that is kind of what gave or if there is an impeachment trial. There may still be one. That's kind of what gave foul push over the edge for Cuomo to resign. I, I think that's interesting, too. It is. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as I said, I haven't read it, so I can't really comment on it. But I will say this much. I mean, the allegations of the sexual nature against Andrew Cuomo obviously aren't the only beefs that people have had with him over the, over the last several years. And, and the fact that he shut down this commission that was investigating ethics in his own administration, he just shut it down. The whole nursing home thing uh, at the, in the early days of COVID where people died unnecessarily, then the book deal, I think four and a half million dollars. There are many other things, particularly from the point of view of New York State's progressives who bottled up and shut down in a lot of different ways. Now, I mean, just Andrew has been a very character for a long, long time since he was, uh, you know, his dad's enforcer back when his dad was running. And back in those days, Mario was more of the kind of good cop, and Andrew was definitely the bad cop. And now Andrew's his own bad cop. And it's kind of- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. And you're right about the atmosphere in the state, the calls for him to resign, which began when the allegations first came out, even before the full inquiry, that 
Tish James called for. There were people who said, well, everybody calling for resignation as a result of the sexual harassment allegations, y'all a little late. I mean, some of us have been saying that he needed to go for all these other reasons. But you're right, the bad cop behavior, the brutishness, if the Ronan Farrow story is true, if all the other things we've heard are true, it is a, a consistent culture. So the sexual harassment and the, the, the attitude towards women is consistent with, you would think, all of the other behavior. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm just this big, bad guy, and I'm going to get my way and get what I want. I am the enforcer. I will have you as my woman, and I will have all the power in Albany and all over the country. I can call and even threaten Obama White House. I mean, if, if, if all of that proves to be true, then that's some pretty consistent behavior. It is. And uh, as I said, it's it's of a piece with what we've known about him for a long time. And, you know, I would say this, Mark, on the point of legislators, you know, hesitating. It's not very common for politicians, mid-level politicians in any state to be willing to go against their governor. You know, a governor has a ton of power. A governor has a lot of money at his disposal, contracts, jobs, appointments, friends he can he can give jobs and contracts to all kinds of things and i mean a governor has enormous power and a governor who behaves uh, like andrew does has even an extra amount of power so it's not going to happen you know the first scandal is not going to do it the second scandal is not going to do it the third scandal might not even do it (laughs) then finally it gets to a point where people just say okay enough but you know governors governors are very powerful figures in, in American politics that, that people are very loath to buck. I mean, look at look at how Ralph Northam survived that thing. You know, there were yeah, yeah. calls for his resignation and it looked for a moment like he was going to be gone within 48 hours, but it stabilized and some African-American leaders in the state of Virginia came to his defense. And now he's finishing up his term and it's like, you know, it's basically going to be a pretty successful term uh, overall. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was interesting. He, he definitely dodged that bullet himself. More MIP after this message. The Democrats, as you said, this is a good thing that Democrats are doing this, standing up on behalf of those in their base and their constituency. After all, the majority of the Democratic base is women. That makes perfect sense. And it's the right thing to do. But when it comes to, I mean, obviously the party is is a party about winning elections against this other party which has created this climate of excuse on the range of excuses to just ignoring this type of behavior. Do you think in the long run, this helps Democrats appeal to the electorate in such a way that they can get more votes, particularly women, maybe even Republican women? I don't know. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's not just the right thing to do, but you also, I guess, have to consider whether or not it amounts to anything when another party is saying, oh, that doesn't matter. You can just act, you can be a Donald Trump. And, and still be president. What do you what do you think? I think it may gain the Democrats a few votes among professional women who might otherwise vote Republican. Probably no more impact than that, but probably that much impact. I mean, as we know, you know, there are loads of women in this country who watch Fox News and watch Tucker Carlson and believe every word of that and, and who weren't, as we saw in many interviews in the fall of 2016 declared themselves not to be offended at all by that excess Hollywood tape. So, you know, there are a lot of women whose politics just fit that profile. But I think in the middle, I think there there are still a few swing voters in this country. And I think it's 
it can help certain Democrats in, in certain races. And it's also worth remembering, whenever we talk about political impact these days, always worth remembering, Mark, that in congressional races, and indeed, as we saw, even in presidential races now, these things come down to a few thousand votes. Joe Biden won the presidency by a few thousand votes. Donald Trump won it by a few thousand votes. I could point you to 25 congressional districts where the races were within two or three percent in purple districts. So when I say it might only swing a few votes, sometimes a few votes is the difference between That's right. winning and losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, be remiss. I want to just uh, touch on one other piece you've written recently, and, and this is particularly about the infrastructure deal. And you quoted Michelle Goldberg. I have to go back and read her piece. She's saying we, we are still in the Reagan era, Lord have mercy. I don't disagree, but sometimes it's hard. It's even, it hurts even more when you have to say it out loud. Uh, but, but this could turn out being an actually good week for Biden and the Democrats. And they've proven that some Republicans, even if the Republicans won't agree on issues of sexual harassment and assault, they will agree on issues of infrastructure. And we may be able to put this whole deficit of fear mongering behind us. Yeah. So I wrote about the infrastructure bill, but in, a, in this particular context. So for 40 years, ever since Democrats have been terrified of Republicans saying to them, you're going to increase the deficit, you're going to increase the deficit. These taxes and liberals are going to increase the deficit. And that has frozen a lot of possibilities when Democrats had power. And you saw that, well, Bill Clinton the economy boomed, the tech economy boomed, and the deficit was eliminated. Then Barack Obama, the deficit was huge. He inherited a huge deficit from George W. Bush. It got bigger under Obama, and he paid a lot of lip service to deficit reduction and didn't propose uh, some, like the stimulus wasn't as big as it, as it could have been or should have been and things like that. So Biden is doing something different. Biden is, is saying, I mean, he pays lip service to deficits too from time to time, but he's pursuing big, bold spending programs programs in the face, by the way, you know what the current budget deficit is in this country? It's $3 trillion. It's far bigger than it's ever been. And that was mostly left to Biden by Trump. And it was because of the pandemic, the economic nosedive after the pandemic. But the deficit is huge. And Biden is pursuing all these spending bills. And, and it could easily have been different. Easily have been different. People should realize how easily the old Joe Biden might have said, well, you know, I'm going to keep this to $170 billion because I don't want to add to the deficit. And and it was fascinating last week when the Congressional Budget Office released its tally of the of the infrastructure bill and said that it would add to the deficit by $256 billion over 10 years. Yeah, you know, not so long ago, that would have stopped the thing cold, but nobody batted an eye. It didn't even stop the Republicans. So maybe something about the politics of deficit fear mongering is changing in this country, which I think would be a great thing. Yeah, I, I should hope so, because you're right. We know it has happened under Republican administrations, but <laughs> no one cares. No one says about it. And again, back to that mainstream media, they don't make a big deal about it. Yeah. So and, and under the circumstances, uh, we don't have a choice. We're going to get people back to work and, and get this economy back. And we know infrastructure needs rebuilding and support and revamping and upgrading all of all of the above. Obviously, the Democrats have the ability and the will. More MIP after this message. Lastly, Michael, to get this infrastructure bill through, how are you feeling about how Democrats are handling the voting rights for the People Act, the filibuster and all that? We haven't talked in a while, but what, what's your take on that? Are Democrats doing all that they need to do? Should they just end the filibuster to get to get this done? Because it's existential. If, if people's votes are suppressed and 
we don't have voting rights, then the Democrats won't be able to uh, retain power. I've been writing that the, they should get rid of the filibuster since Obama was president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For 10 years, I've been pointing out the unfairnesses about the filibuster. And some of these arguments that people make in defense of it, uh, I just think are, 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 are kind of wrong. You know, Kirsten Sinema says, yeah, but when the Republicans take power, she's not the only one who says this. When the Republicans take power, they'll just reverse everything. Well, I'm not so sure they will reverse everything because the things that the Democrats are passing are popular. Are, are the, if the Democrats manage to pass, for example, free community college, which is part of this budget reconciliation deal. Are the Republicans going to get in power and say to people, sorry, community college isn't going to be free anymore? They may, but I kind of doubt they can do that. You know, I mean, the Tories in England wanted to undo the National Health Service when they took power in the 1950s. They didn't have the votes. They weren't able to do it. The Republicans have tried to repeal Obamacare 70 times. They haven't been able to do it. Once these programs get established and they're popular, they're very hard for the opposition to repeal. So I don't think that's a very valid argument against the filibuster. With respect to voting rights, particularly, of course, they're not doing enough. What more should they do? I don't really know the answer to that question, you know, because there are Democrats and it goes beyond, as you know, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who are very hesitant to repeal the filibuster for this measure. Schumer's going to keep pushing it. Pelosi's going to keep pushing it. I noticed that everybody did vote for it yesterday, but if they're going to vote for voting rights, there was a vote in the middle of the night that had to do with voting rights. But if they're going to vote for it and not repeal the filibuster, then the vote's meaningless. So I don't know. I just, I hope this turns around. And um, if it doesn't, yeah, the Democrats are looking at a very tough situation. But I will say this, I'll I'll end this on on a quasi hopeful note. All these voter suppression measures, I mean, maybe the ones that they're passing now are worse. They they look to be worse. But, you know, they didn't work in 2020. If Democrats get out their vote, it's not written in the stars that these voter suppression measures have to work. They can be defeated. Mm -hmm. But but I think Kirsten or Kristen Sinema makes the point still when she says, what about when the Republicans are back in power? Well, if our votes are suppressed and we let this fly, you're going to put them back in power. I mean, that, that's that's why it's so existential. You don't have to obsess over that. The voter suppression laws that are squeaking through all of these states are to prevent Democrats from staying in power. Sure. And so you use the power you have. You have power in the Senate. You have power to get rid of the filibuster. And then you don't have to be willy nilly about well, what if the Republicans take back power? The Republicans know they can't take back power as long as there's no For the People Act, no John Lewis Act, no end to the filibuster. And so when Sinema and others say that, I don't know, I mean, it's like they don't realize, I I guess Democrats have had so little power so seldom, some of them may not realize when it's theirs to wield and to wield in more way, bring it back full circle. Yes, moral authority on sexual harassment issues, sexual assault issues, calling for Cuomo to resign. Moral authority, folks, on ending the filibuster for the right reason. I mean, Michael, I would not slit my wrists even if they did, if they just did a carve out for this. I mean, if you, if, if it, I mean, I still don't get why it's so sacred to them, that, that, that rule. But even people say, well, let's just do a carve out somehow to make sure people can vote and that we can survive in power. Yeah. Something. And, and I think there's, that ought to, they ought to show some moral authority on that too. But you know, that's me. But you're right. You've been saying this for years. I'm with you. We've all been saying it. It's got to happen. Folks, Michael Tomasti, the editor of The New Republic, 
doing a great job as always. It's been too long. We're going to have to get Michael back in here more often as we have in the past. Michael, God bless you, buddy. Likewise, my friend. Be well. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.